Okay, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. So like I said, we're going to be in Psalm 106. <laughs> and um, can you guys hear me at all? You just give me a thumbs up. Okay, okay, good. Not that I'm that worried about it. So Psalm 106, I think what we're going to do is um, we're just going to read through the whole psalm. In a way, the psalm is oddly encouraging and depressing at the same time. Do you want a Bible, Leah? There you go. Or you could use, there you go, yeah. Um, but I, I love it, um, and I think I've even spoken on it before, but it's kind of an, a neat um, encapsulation of basically everything Israel goes through through most of the Old Testament or up until the time that this psalm was um, was spoken and, and written down. Um, we don't really know who wrote it. Um, I kind of don't think it's David. Um, but the, the, the psalms from like Psalm 100 leading up to this are just, they're great. I don't know. I really just have really enjoyed them and loved them. Um, what the main verse that I want to focus on, but we're going to look at some others and talk about some others in here, is verse 15, well, verse 14. But lusted, talking about Israel, exceedingly in the wilderness, and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. And, I mean, I've kind of hit on this topic the last couple of weeks, but it just hit me again how they fall into temptation and they fall into lust and they, after all that they see in the wilderness, and God gives them what they want. And to me, that's really scary. <laughs> so we'll get into that. So let's read it. Start, let's pray first and then we'll read it. So Psalm 106, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this day and for your word and for the Shabbat and that we get to be together, uh, that we get to learn from your word, um, that you've preserved it for us uh, and that we can apply it to our lives. Help us just to learn, uh, remember, apply it and do it uh, that we may uh, be your people built up, ready for you to return. Uh, and quickly, hopefully, in Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Okay. Psalm 106. Praise ye Yehovah, and give thanks unto Yehovah, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of Yehovah? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Yehovah, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They Remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but, for, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty uh, power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. 
Then believed they his words and sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses in the camp, also in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of Jehovah. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. A fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of Jehovah. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions, and the plague break in upon them. Then stood up Phineas and executed judgment, so the plague was stayed. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also with the waters of strife, so that it went ill for Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirit, so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom Jehovah commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. They served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of Jehovah kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought unto subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. And he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Save us, O Jehovah our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto the holy name, uh, thy holy name, and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be Jehovah, God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. So, I think it's a great, um, just an incredible psalm. Like I said, it kind of recounts the sad history of Israel <laughs> from when they basically come out of the land of Egypt all the way up to um, when they eventually uh, go into cap- the Babylonian captivity and they come back out. And all along their history, they're besought with... Uh, disobedience to God, not trusting Him, 
not relying on him. And basically all of that is fleshed out in their non-obedience to his words. They'll have good periods, especially if you read through the books of the judges. They have really good periods, and then they get uh, fat, dumb, and happy. Uh, they get at ease at their Zion. They forget God. They start doing whatever's right in their own eyes. Uh, God brings affliction and their enemies against them to basically bring them back unto him. Because in a sense, you know, it's a merciful thing that God does that he allows Israel's enemies to come against them because he uses it as a tool to bring them back unto himself. You know, if you've ever um, worked with animals or sheep, um, I worked on a sheep farm when I was in high school, a little bit before, before high school. Uh, my career now is with horses. And what you do with animals is you provide, to get them to go basically where you want, you provide pressure to guide them in that direction. And it's oftentimes gentle and, and very light and, and almost sometimes you only have to just look at them and position your posture such that they react to you. But that's in a horse that's behaved and trained. One that is a little more rebellious or stubborn, they're always pushing up against the boundaries of what you're trying to do with them. And so you have to get more animated and apply more pressure and get more dramatic and inflict more pain or whatever to, to encourage them in the right direction. Um, and so there's, and there's interesting because there's two ways of, not to get into horse talk, but there's two ways of working with horses. There's um, encouraging proper behavior, like you reward correct behavior, which we see these two things biblical. I, I, I believe that most biblical principles we see manifested in the natural things around us because God created everything. And so with animals, you can encourage proper behavior and you can discourage improper behavior. And so God really does the same thing with his people. So they go um, through all these different situations. He does these miracles. Uh, he splits the Red Sea. He takes them out of Egypt. But they push up against, you know, the restrictions of what he's trying to do with them. Because he has purchased them when they come out of Egypt as his own people. He, they are now the nation of Israel reborn because they went down into Egypt. They, you know, populated in Egypt and uh, were, you know, kind of mixed in amongst all the other slaves that were there. Then he brings them out. He brings them to Mount Sinai. He enters into covenant with them there and gives them now their new culture, their new identity. Uh, everything from when the year begins, the holidays they observe, the days they take off, what they do with their animals, what happens if your axe head slips off your axe, where you go to the bathroom. I mean, he lays out their entire culture and builds a new uh, society essentially for himself. And so this is kind of the chronicling of that. And the same goes for us today as all those who believe and trust in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are grafted into Israel. And as such, we come under these same constraints and, and, and the same kingdom and the same instructions for the kingdom. And so we'll just go through here and we'll talk a little bit about each of these passages. So uh, verse 3 is where I want to start. It says, Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doth righteousness at all times. So 
you have this uh, introductory verse that says, blessed or Oftentimes it's translated, happy is the person who keeps judgment and he that does righteousness at all times. So in other words, it'll go well with you. You'll be happy. It's the way God intended things to work. Verse 4, remember me, O Yehovah, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation. 5, that I may see the good of thy chosen and that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation and that I may glory with thine inheritance. Six, we've sinned with our fathers and have committed iniquity and done wickedly. And it says in seven, our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for their own namesake. So we talked about this a little bit last week. So they got to the Sea of of Reeds, Red Sea, and they basically said, why'd you bring us out of Egypt? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die by Pharaoh's army when they got there? So, you know, how quickly they forgot all the amazing things that God had done for them with all the plagues and just getting them, you know, probably two million people out of Egypt and brought to the Red Sea. And I think the same thing goes for us oftentimes. You know, we forget to look back at our own lives and see how much God has done for us and how merciful he's been and we only see the struggle right in front of us and we you know tend to uh, complain and whine and murmur and grumble about our current situation forgetting that you know what just wait obey do what's right follow him and and allow him to work it out instead of stressing out over whatever the situation is so they uh uh, so the Red Sea's dried up. Um, twelve, they see all the great things and they feel good again. They're like, ah, oh, okay, now we believe again. In verse 12, they believe his words, they sing a praise. Thirteen, they soon forget his works. <laughs> they waited not for his counsel. You know, so it's like as soon as the Red Sea splits, what happens again? They go three days and they run out of water. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, brought us to die of thirst in the wilderness. You know, so it's this roller coaster which is the same roller coaster all of us tend to go on as well, where it's this up and down of, are we trusting God? Are we following God? Are we looking to Him? Are we waiting for His counsel? And the only way we know that, know His counsel and know His words, is if we get in this word and we read it and we study it and we consistently get it burned into our minds and our brains because we're infiltrated in this extreme Greek Hellenistic you know, opulent society that we live in, Information just bombards us. The world's information, you know, it's not God's information from every angle, be it our, our phone, Facebook, the news, the radio, Super Bowl, you know, whatever these things are. And I'm not, you know, saying burn your TV and your, and your cell phone and go live in a hole you dig in the woods. That's not what I'm saying. Paul says we have to live in the world but not be of the world. We're in the world, not of the world. So, but... What is our primary influencer? It's so it's like when you were growing up as a kid. You know, you grow up in your parents' house. You're supposed to listen to your parents. But you have a lot of things vying for your behavior, right? When you were a kid, your friends, um, situations at school, work, where you want to go, things you want to do. But, you know, there's the rules of the house are there. They're known and they're understood. And every day... I know, I know myself growing up, you know, you would come to a scenario or a situation where 
you know, you want to obey, but it's like, where can I just maybe push the lines a little bit? I, re I remember growing up, you know, I, I usually had to be, I forget what time I had to be home. It varied, you know, 9.30 or 10 o'clock or whatever. I remember, like, we lived on a dead-end street, uh, coming into the, oh, I'm telling the story, coming down the road, and I would turn the car off because it was a little bit of a slope. I turned the lights off, and I just coast. <laughs> down the road, into the driveway, put the car in the park. And what, our bedroom was in the basement, and so I'd just try to crack the door and, like, go in really quietly. Because <laughs> my dad always went to sleep really early because he got up wicked early because he was always reading his Bible. Anyway, but the point is, that's not how we're supposed to live. Why? Because you're, like, you're towing the line. You're, you're, be, you're being disobedient. You're not doing what's right. You're not obeying the rules of the household. And it's the same thing goes for God's word. You know, we have to analyze in our own lives how we start to, to well, why can't I stay out later? Everybody else does it. Why can't I live like they do? You know, why do we have to, whatever, keep Shabbat? Or why do we have to, you know, why can't we eat bacon? I don't know, pick your thing. I'm just picking on those two. Because God holds his people to the standards of his kingdom, because that's what differentiates them. And he says that I have purchased you as a peculiar possession. That word peculiar doesn't mean weird. We tend to think it means weird. It actually means one's own property. So he owns those who are his. And as such, they are to operate according to how he wants them to. Makes sense. And it's for their own good. You know, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden... He told them not to eat from the knowledge of tree and evil because he knew there would be consequences. But they didn't listen. And so in his mercy and his grace, he still provided a way for them to be reconciled back unto him because he said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eating that fruit, you will surely die. And that death in Hebraic terms doesn't mean, you know, can't keel over and, and die. It means death, death hebraically is separation because what is death? You're separated from life. There, even in, in Hebraic thought, because the Bible is, I believe, very scientific, imagine that, um, there is no annihilation of mass and matter and energy. We know this from physics. And so death is not ceasing to exist, never to be, no more, almost like it never happened. Death is a transfer of energy. And so... When he said that you would die, they were separated from God's presence. And so they were removed from the Garden of Eden, from the, knowledge, from the tree of life. And so God had to provide a way to get back into the garden. And that way is Yeshua, is God, is his word, is his whole plan of redemption. Um, I spoke about that a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to beat that dead horse. There's the horse again. Um, so... They, they believe his words, they sing his praise, oh, you were happy, they soon forget his works. So it all goes, the H-E double toothpicks again, and they wait not for his uh, counsel. 14, they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And these are, these are the two verses I really wanted to focus on. We'll go through the rest of them. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Ah, I don't know why that struck me so so much because I've talked about the idea of um, much to our chagrin, God usually gives us what we want. 
which to me really is a sobering, scary thing because if we want to obey him and serve him, he will provide the way. If God says, if you seek me, you will find me. He who knocks, the door will be opened, blah, blah, blah. But if we desire not to follow him and we want to go our own way, eventually he'll give us what we want and leave us to our own devices, which only leads to destruction and chaos. There's an incredible passage in, um, I think it's in Kings, where the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, they, uh, not to rehash this whole story, but essentially he wants to find out whether or not he should go to battle. And so they bring in this pro- these two prophets uh, one's a good prophet, one's a false prophet. False prophet says, yeah, 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 go up, you're going to prosper and succeed. The good prophet also says, yeah, 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 go up, go ahead, you'll all succeed, knowing that he was going to die. And then it like cuts to God in heaven talking to the angels, and he's like, who's going to go and deceive the king for me? The God's saying this. Basically to give him what he wants because he's not going to listen to me anyway. And so God sends the false prophet to deceive the king because that's what he wants to hear anyway. And the good prophet even tells him that because the good prophet says, yeah, yeah, go up, you'll succeed. And so the king says, I know that you're not telling the truth because he knows he would tell him otherwise. And and so the good prophet says, you're right. I'm paraphrasing this a lot, so bear with me. And the good prophet says, you're right. You're going to die. You're going to go up and you're going to die. And he goes up and he dies to battle. He goes up to battle. And so the fascinating thing to me about that passage, and that's just one illustration of many, is that eventually if if the person or the individual does not repent and does not turn unto God and mend their ways, though God extends and extends and extends and extends and leans and bends over, eventually he has to cut the kid loose. Because... That's the only thing left. I'll give you an example of this in my own life. So I was, hard to believe, I'm sure, a somewhat wayward uh, high schooler and did not obey very well at all. Well, eventually it got to the point um, with my line and deception and that my dad eventually told me, I'm done. He said, you want to live your life? Go live your life. I wasn't 18 yet, so he couldn't kick me out yet. But he's like, you know, you live here, but that's about it. You're on your own. Because I was just, you know, stiff neck and rebellious. And if, if he had not done that, I don't know that I would have turned around. Because it was the only arrow he had left in his quiver was to leave me to my own devices. Because... Take it back into the horse world a little bit. In the horse world, you have this band of horses. You have the alpha stallion, you have the primary mare, and then you have like four or five other mares and their babies. Mares are the females, the stallions the male, if you don't know horses at all. Well, juvenile males will constantly test, and other stallions that are outside that don't have their own band, will constantly battle and test that lead stallion. The reason is they have to know that he's going to lead his, i got to remember where I'm going with this, that he's going to lead his band and protect them and be the leader. Because if he's not, 
he needs to be gone because he's threatening the livelihood of all the horses in that herd. The same thing goes for um, us as children of God. For me, when I was growing up in my household, I would constantly butt my head up against my dad's laws. We constantly butt up against God's laws because as children uh, in a family, as we to our Heavenly Father, we have to know that He is going to stand for truth. Because if He's going to hold the line, we know that we really believes, He really believes what He says He says. Says He believes. Does that make sense? He, he believes what He says. And we know, and then it's trustworthy. If God wasn't trustworthy, then we just, you know, throw up our hands and go do whatever. But eventually what happens is if you have a child that's rebellious enough and will not listen to the rules of the household, us to our Heavenly Father, He has to give us over to whatever we want and says, fine, you really want that? Go send yourself off to your own ruin. And you're going to have to learn the hard way. I can't save you from yourself anymore. And so my dad had to do that for me. And God sometimes has to do that to us so that we can be, uh, Paul says, he delivered them unto Satan and that they would be buffeted, I think, if I'm, if I'm getting the passage correctly. Because you go out and you get beat up a little bit. It's like the prodigal son. It's the same thing. The story of the prodigal son, you guys ever heard that one? So the prodigal son is a wealthy man. He has two sons. Eventually, there's the older son, really obedient, really good, obeys, does what he's supposed to. Um, young, younger son says, Dad, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this. Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. So the dad says, all right, gives him his inheritance, takes all his money, goes to town, lives licentiously, whatever, lives very opulently, wastes all his money, ends up working for a farmer, eating pig slop. He says, this is terrible, you know, I have sinned and I've betrayed my father's trust. Maybe my dad will take me back as a slave because even my dad's slaves get treated better than I'm getting treated right now. He goes back and the dad welcomes him in, puts a robe on, and he gets welcomed back into the family. So the whole idea being he had to be let go to get buffeted up, beat up a little bit, knocked around in life, so that he could come back and realize what he really had. And sometimes God has to do the same thing with us. He has to let us go so we can go out, get beat up, get beat down, so that we can see how we were wrong. And that's what happened to me. I went, I, he said that, and I've never been, I, and I didn't realize this would happen, but I've never been more afraid in my life, realizing like, oh crap, you know, dad's not there to bail me out anymore. You know, I'm really on my own. And that eventually turned me around. It took a while. Um, but so, 15, he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. I found that so amazing. He sent leanness into their soul. They, they dried up inside. And so that then really brought out what was really inside. Did they have a heart to repent and turn back and, and, uh, and believe? Or did they continue on and get 
op the earth opened and swallowed them up, <laughs> like Dathan and Abiram. That's another wicked ghoul story. Um, and the uh, rebellion of Korah. Basically, what happened in that story is they were challenging Moses' leadership and uh, wanted to have a hot... They were trying to have a coup, basically, and were trying to take over leadership in the camp. And um, God, uh, Moses basically said, all right, you want, you want to have a, a hoedown here? And fire burst out and burnt up a whole bunch of them, and a bunch of them got swallowed up by the earth, and it was a pretty dramatic event. And um, so we'll cover that another time. 19, they made a calf. These are, these are, so, he, so we go on, and I believe this is just an old unfolding of these, these situations where the people obey. They want what the world wants. They see the glitter and the glamour. They want the things. They want the life. They want the experiences. And so he has to give them over to it. But it's, so this, these, all these little stories are an expounding of that. And they're all the same things that happened I believe, to us, and even if it's in our own minds and emotions and are in our lives. So the golden calf in Horeb, 19, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. They changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. So they build a golden calf. The golden calf was the one of the primary gods in Egypt. So what they did was they built this golden calf and they said, tomorrow is a festival unto Yehovah, unto God. So they said, we're going to build a calf, our warm fuzzies that we still had in Egypt that we used to be engaged in, but we're just going to do it now unto God. So they were mixing two old ways. And God says, you're not supposed to worship me the way the nations do. He said, I took you out of all of that. I brought you onto Mount Sinai and created you as a new people with a new heritage and culture and, and ways of worship, obey me. But they wanted to bring their golden calf with them. Take your pick, whatever thing you present day want to drag with you. God says, we don't do that. And so uh, then it goes on, and um, 23, Therefore he said he'd destroy them, had not Moses' chosen stood before him in the breach to turn his way his wrath, lest he should destroy them. So... Yeah, they, they got so bad that eventually God said, move your tent away from these people. I'm going to burn them all up. And Moses prayed and said, oh, God, don't you know, do that because if you do, you're basically going to hurt your own name because you delivered all these people. And if you just take them into the wilderness and rain fire on them, what are the nations going to say? God couldn't deliver his own people. He took them out just to burn them up. Yeah, when they do the calf, yeah, yeah. They go, they go from Egypt to the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. That's where they do the calf, and that's where they get the Ten Commandments and everything. Then they go to the land of Israel, and it says right here, they despised the pleasant land and believed not his words, but murmured in their tents and not hearkened unto the voice of Jehovah. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow the seed among the nations, blah, blah, blah. Basically, they go... Up to the border of the land, they send the spies in, and the spies bring an evil report back, all except for two, Caleb and uh, Joshua. And so they all murmur. They say, oh, you know, God should have, you know, why didn't you kill us in Egypt to just bring us here to get killed by the people of the land? Because they didn't believe his word, because he said he would drive out those nations from amongst them. But they were the most powerful nations at the time that were dwelling in the land, and so they were, you know, somewhat understandably fearful of that. And so, but Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies, they sent 12 of them, one for each tribe. 
Caleb and Joshua said, no, we can do it. We can go and we can take it up. We can take the land over. So um, the, those, those bad spies, they got kill, killed instantly by God. Everybody else who murmured from 20 years older and above, um, God said, you'll die in the wilderness. But your children, who you said would be killed in the land, they'll go in and inherit the land. God has an, an amazing sense of irony and humor, I think. So they spend the next 40 years wandering in the desert until everybody from that generation dies off. And so the only two people from the original generation that left um, Egypt that were older than 20 that eventually entered into the land were Caleb and Joshua. Moses didn't get to go in, neither did Aaron or, or Miriam. Aaron, uh, Moses is going to go on here because... Um, where does it say here? Here, uh, yeah. So, um, thirty-two. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirit, Moses' spirit, that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. He did not. Um, there's a passage where they, they run out of water again and they're about ready to stone Moses and he's mad at them. And God says, speak to the rock and the rock will produce water. And he hits the rock and uh, basically doesn't um, obey God, doesn't honor what he said to do. And, um, and so Moses doesn't get to go into the land. It's really sad. <laughs> I always get to that point where Moses dies right before they go into the land. And, and it's so sad. But he does get to see it. God shows him the land and he gets to see it. And so, um, so they don't go into the land. They provoke his spirit. Um, the, uh, let's see here. But So eventually they do go into the land. Verse 34. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom Yehovah commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. So again, kind of the same thing that happened with the golden calf. They wanted their warm fuzzies of their past pagan heritage. When they went, finally went into the land, God said, you're supposed to wipe them all out, tear down their idols. You don't, you don't intermingle with them. Not because the people necessarily, they were bad. They were terrible uh, people at the time, engaged in all kinds of uh, child sacrifice and terrible things. And so part of the reason God said wipe them out is because he knew if they commingled with them, they would start to adopt some of their practices and it would infect them and then they would start doing these terrible things, which is exactly what happened to them. And so they were a snare unto them. They sacrificed their own sons and daughters. And eventually the land was polluted because of their sin. And there's an idea in the Bible that if innocent blood is shed, the land is cursed because of that innocent blood that is shed. And the only way that... Um, the, the only way that that can be that, I don't even know how to say it, the, the debt that then ensues and is atoned for or covered over or paid for is the shedding of the blood of the one who shed innocent blood. In other words, you kill someone's innocent and dies and you shed blood, your death is the only thing that then will satisfy them, make up for that so that the land is not polluted and cursed. Well, they didn't do that. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters, and eventually the land was polluted, and they had to be 
kicked out and removed from the land so that the land could have rest. Because I believe that there are physical properties that happen. There's physics to it all. And I think that part of the reason that the flood happened was, or not part, the reason the flood happened was because it says, it says in, um, back in Genesis that the earth was filled with violence because of the wickedness of mankind. And I believe the same thing is going on today because of all of the uh, shedding of innocent blood with you know, abortion and everything else, uh, that the land is being polluted. And the only way that can be atoned for or covered is by the shedding of the blood of those who have shed it. And so judgment is going to fall on the earth. It's the only just thing that God can do. Uh, but he will redeem his people out of all of that. So kind of throwing you guys into the deep end of the pool on a lot of different things, but that's okay. So, um, so eventually it says in 39, thus, thus they were defiled with their own works and went whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of Jehovah kindled against his people insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them, and their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Um, 34. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel. And were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered them, uh, remembered for them his covenant, and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. So the cool thing in all this is, God does. He for there is always there is always consequences for sin. It's just natural ramifications. But he does. Forgive, and so when the people do cry out, like you read in Judges, this kind of roller coaster of, you know, they sin, they fall into bondage, they cry out, He rescues them. They sin, they fall into bondage, they cry out, He rescues them. It's the same thing for us, and so I believe what's going on now is God is uh, gathering all His people from the four corners of the earth, and He's bringing them out from the um, darkness of, of misunderstanding. And he is bringing his scriptures back to life. And they always have been, but I believe on a greater scale, he's doing this prophetically as we approach um, the end times, whether that's a few hundred years, I don't have no idea. But I believe this is a prophetic fulfillment of what God is talking about all through his scriptures as he is... Um, shedding light on the hearts and minds of his people and bringing us out of darkness and, and out of the world and out of false religious systems. And, and, and like we saw where, you know, so much of what, you know, even I grew up in, if you grew up in a Christian background or whatever background, there's so much, or even it's just humanistic background, it's all false religion. It's all a cultural system and a... Uh, belief system that's not based on scripture and not based on God's word and all of that will will fail and lead to chaos and, dis- and destruction in lives and in families and so that's part of what has been so awesome for me is you know I'm so thankful 
uh, to be able to turn back to God's ways, to keep his word as best as I can, you know, to raise my family um, and share with others, you know, the truth of God's word, the Torah, that Yeshua came, he died, he did not come to die to do away with the Torah, but to uh, teach it and to establish it and to, uh, you know, bring reconciling to his people. So, um, uh, let's see, let me check my notes real quick. Oh, there was something I wanted to read here. Let's see here. What So what is a meaningful life? Too often, I too often define it by my humanistic worldly de- definitions. Money, experiences, whatever I can dream up. But then in the end, when I come to the end of life and I stand before God, and have to give an honest account for how I chose to live. Will I see a life lived to the best of my ability according to his word? Or will I look across the empty moonscape of my life pocked with the craters of bad decisions and opportunities lost? You know, that's, he gave them the request and sent leanness into their soul, you know. What are we desiring in life? What do we really want out of it all? You know, what are we trying to do? You know, are we heaping up worldly, worldly, whatever, money, experiences, possessions, things, or are we living lives to serve God and keep His commandments and teach it unto our children and the next generation so that there's life and there's health? You know, um, not that... Things of this world are bad. God gave us all things richly to enjoy, but seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, he designed it all to be enjoyed through the prism of his word and obedience to him. And so we that's why I say, you know, these need to be our glasses of life, this book that we look through, that then dictates our actions so that we enjoy life and put importance and relevance and meaning into our life through his scriptures, not through our own definitions or the world's definitions. Um, Because if if what our actions and our beliefs um, and what we teach our children is not in line with his word, chaos will ensue down the road generationally. So that's why we're trying to turn back unto his word. And so... That's why, close out, verse 3. Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doth righteousness at all times. So that's what we're supposed to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you again for this word, for this psalm, for the story of Israel, and how it's really our story too. Uh, Help us just to apply it to our hearts and minds that we might Go forth and live it. Study and know your word. Apply it to our lives. Live it and do it. Teach it to our children, our friends, and our family. Stand up for it. And um, that it might transform our heart. That then it transforms our mind, our thoughts. That it then would transform the actions of our daily life. And that we would be a people that is peculiar. But only because we are your personal possession which is awesome, God. And uh, so I just pray that you would
strengthen, guide us, be with us, encourage us. Thank you that you do, that you're always with us, uh, that you have been a, um, a, a, a habitation for us throughout all generations. And I just thank you for that. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Quickly, verse Psalm, Psalm 90. Uh, it's prayer of Moses, man of God. Verse 1, Lord, thou has been our dwelling place in all generations. I love that. Love that. All right.